overwhelming just how much you love us. God, and the fact that you take our dirty, filthy hands, God, and you wash them clean. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they should be as white as wool. Uh, may they be as crimson, they shall be as snow. God, thank you so much for cleansing us, for purifying us, for allowing our hands to be clean so that we can lift them in praise and worship to you. God, it's, it's amazing to me that you would love us the way that you do. It's amazing to me that the grace that you pour out on us every single day and the mercy, the sustaining grace that you pour out on us, God, to hold us close to you. God, may you be praised now through the preaching and teaching of your word. God, I pray that each and every one of our hearts and our minds would be open to exactly what you have to say to every person here. Lord, I know that you have something specific that you need to say to every single person, if only we would listen. God, may we be tuned in to you right now and to your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're continuing a series on spiritual warfare, and I told you last week that I couldn't give you a foolproof way, a sure, complete way that you can avoid spiritual warfare, but I could give you some pointers if you wanted to, uh, if you want to avoid being in a spiritual war. If you don't want to get in a battle and you don't want to go one-on-one with Satan and his demons... I can't give you a surefire way to do that, but I can give you a pretty good way that you can try. And that is, all you have to do is do nothing. Because Satan and his demons are not intimidated by Christians that do nothing, that sit on the back row and and don't don't care about the things of God, don't really do anything for the kingdom of God. They have no desire to serve. They have no desire to work. Satan is really not intimidated by those people. So if you're wanting to avoid spiritual warfare, one thing that you can do is do nothing. Everybody's like, wow, Kenny, you're really inspiring. I appreciate the way you started off that sermon this morning. It's true. It's true. When Paul talks in Ephesus in chapter 6 about putting on spiritual armor, he's talking to people that actually are going to battle. They're not people that are going to sit on the sidelines and just watch what's going on. They're actually going into battle because they're not afraid. They, they want God's kingdom to reign and rule, and they want to do something for the kingdom. They want to see God's kingdom grow and God to use them in whatever way they can so that, that God can do something in the people around them. And those people that are really interested in doing that, they better put on spiritual armor. They, they, they better prepare themselves and get themselves ready to go into battle because I promise you the battle is coming. See, we have, you know, I, I got to thinking about we have a wrong, uh, I don't know what you call it, a philosophy, I guess. It's, it's, it's bad thinking. It's, it's not biblical. We have this, this mindset sometimes that if we're doing something for God, if we're doing something for God's kingdom, God is using us, and we're trying our best to pursue righteousness and pursue God and pursue his kingdom and reach people for the cause of Christ, we have this wrong mindset that it should be easy. That, that, that if it's like God owes us. It's like if, if we're doing something for God, then, then God must make the path really smooth. It must be nice and paved surface, you know. There's no bumps in the road. There's no speed bumps. It should just be like easy going if we're doing something for God, right? That's the way we, in our minds we think. Well, if, if God has control of everything and I'm doing something for God, God's using me and I'm allowing him to use me, then, then it should be smooth sailing, Right? Uh, smooth sailing. That's what the disciples encountered, right? They always had smooth sailing, didn't they? <laughs> That's Kenny's sarcasm coming out. 
As a matter of fact, the waves had come and wind had come and they would crash against the boat and it would be so bad they think they were going to die. I mean, you would think, you would think that if they were out there trying to reach people with the good news of the kingdom of God, you would think that they wouldn't have waves and there wouldn't be any wind and they wouldn't think they were going to die. That's what you would think, right? But that's not the way it works. You know why? Because we have a spiritual enemy called Satan. Satan and his demons are constantly trying to, to disrupt what God is doing and, and trying to, to keep people from hearing the good news of Christ. Constantly trying to, to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. You see this all the time. All the time. In particular, we're going to look at an Old Testament guy. His name's Nehemiah. Um, I told Kayla before she started leading worship this morning, I said, I may not let you get through all four songs. I may jump up there after three because I am so excited about this, this message. I am so excited about this passage. I love Nehemiah. I preached through Nehemiah once before a long time ago, and it just spoke to me. It just really, I don't know what it is about Nehemiah, but it's a man who's got some guts. It's a man who endures spiritual warfare. As a matter of fact, in Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6, it's all about spiritual warfare. That's really what it's about. Now, there looks like there's people involved, but Satan is just using people to conduct his mission. He's just using people to, to battle against what Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem are trying to do. See, here's what happened. You know that, 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 that like the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, whatever you want to call them, those are all three the same, okay? Like for the most part, when people refer to the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they're all talking about the same group of people, okay? So you know that they were in captivity in Egypt for like 400 years, and then God used Moses to set them free, right? So that's, <laughs> that's like Exodus, right? You should read it sometime. It's really good. But anyway, so there have been times, though, too, where, where, where the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews have been taken into captivity Again, since that happened, since they were set free from the Egyptians, there have been other times they've been taken into captivity. Well, this particular time we find ourselves in Nehemiah, they've been taken into captivity again, and Nehemiah is there. There's been a few changes in the kings that are there, and, and, and Nehemiah ends up like being the cupbearer to the king uh, of Persia at this point in time, which is kind of who has the Israelites in captivity. So Nehemiah is just a cupbearer. He's the dude. He's got like a great job, right? Like so he, his job is to taste the drink before the king gets it to see if it's got poison in it. That way he'll die instead of the king dying, right? Like, yes, sign me up for that. That better be a good paying job, by the way, because I don't know about you, but people like to kill the king, and I don't want to be the dude drinking his drink because people like to poison him. That was one of the main ways they like to kill the king was to poison him. So if you got me drinking your stuff before you drink it, that better be a good paying job. I'm just saying, like, you, you got to set me up right if I'm going to take that job. Anyway, so that's Nehemiah's job. He's, he's an Israelite. He's a Jew. And, and he, his, his job is to do this for the king. And we see that he gets a burden about something. We, we see that, that, that he is terribly burdened about the fact that the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. Like the, the city of Jerusalem, like all the walls are destroyed, they're broken. It's where they, when they were seized, when they were taken into captivity, the, the enemy just tore down the walls and they, they destroyed them. Why is this such a big deal? Kenny, what do we care about a bunch of stone walls? Why is it like a big deal that walls are broken down? I mean, so what? It's stone stacked on top of each other. It's big timbers or whatever. And like, yeah, big deal, the walls are torn down. 
it is more than just walls, okay? So that would be like me saying to you, so what's the big deal about the World Trade Center, the, ten, the Twin Towers being torn down? I mean, who cares? They're just two buildings, right? I mean, what, what's the big deal about two buildings that lay in ruins? Why do we even bother cleaning it up? Why do we bother building a new building there? What's the big deal? You don't feel the same way about those two buildings as you do just any other building, do you? It's got an emotional attachment to you. It says something to you when you think about those buildings that were torn down and how they came down. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, if they tried to leave the Twin Towers in ruins down at the bottom, uh, down, down in Manhattan, I, I would have gone up there and I would have taken stone by stone and tried to move that stuff out of there because it could not remain that way. I would not stand for it. And I'm with a lot of Americans on that that would not be able to stand seeing picture day after day after day of those ruins just standing there, or sitting there and nobody doing anything. Well, that's the way Nehemiah feels about these walls. See, these walls represent God's protection for his people. It's not just the fact that they're walls. It represents something. It represents that God keeps his people. He sustains his people. He's going to take care of his people. See, if the walls are torn down, then any old enemy can just walk in and destroy and take and loot and do whatever they want to do. It doesn't even really matter. That's why the walls are so important. They symbolize something. It's so important to God's people to go, we're God's people. God's going to keep us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to sustain us. He's going to make sure that we stay around. Nehemiah gets all in shambles about the fact that the walls are torn down. Everybody else is kind of... Yeah, so not a big deal. You know, who really cares? But Nehemiah goes and he just weeps. He goes and he sees the walls and he just, he just cries over the fact that, man, these walls are torn down and nobody seems to care. Nehemiah cares. And he goes to the king of Persia and he says, I want to go back and I want to rebuild the walls. <laughs> now, that don't sit real well with everybody, by the way. Uh, that, that, would, that would be like going to, if you work for Osama bin Laden saying, hey, Osama bin Laden, I want to I wanna go back and, and rebuild the Twin Towers. Can I do that? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it would not be like well received for you to even ask the question. And, and because he is a man of God and pursues God, what happens is the king says, yeah, you can go and you can do it. So much so that I'm even going to write letters to the people around you. I'm going to give you a letter to take with you so that you can give to all the, the governors and, and all the, the rulers around you that says you're allowed to take wood from this place and you're allowed to do this so that you can rebuild the walls. And that is the favor of God on Nehemiah. But just when everything seems to be going right, just when everything seems to be good and glorious and and man, people are building and they're like singing and God is great. You know, I mean, like stacking stones and they got timbers going up and they're all jazzed about what's going on. We're rebuilding the walls, y'all. Yeah, and everybody's pumped and they're all singing and they got their arms around each other and they're, they're dancing and stuff. Isn't it always at that point that you see calamity or some kind of disruption or something bad come into the movie, right? Like if you're watching a movie, that's... You know, that's when it happens, right? Everything's going good, and you're like, just waiting. All right, what bad is fixing to happen? You're waiting on the music to start. It's going to tell you something bad is fixing to happen, right? Well, that's what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. We get into chapter 4 here. If you want to know where Nehemiah is, you can go to the book of, of Psalms, and you can turn back about four books. You go to Psalms and Job and Esther, and then you get to Nehemiah. So that's an easy way to find it if you're looking at where Nehemiah is. 
We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. And I'm going to have to be kind of David Platt-like today and kind of rush through some of this because, man, we're doing all of chapter 4, so I'm probably going to speak really fast and I hope you can keep up. And they don't even have the time back there on the, the wall for me, so I don't even know how long this is going to take. So if you need to leave and all that, that's fine. Hopefully it won't take any more than two, two and a half hours max, I would say, so just sit tight. Some people are like, I'll go ahead and leave now. I'll, I'll save you. <laughs> I'll save him the trouble. He won't feel bad if I leave now. Enemies oppose the rebuilding. This is a spiritual warfare that we talk about. Samballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Samballot is, is, a, is a governor of Samaria at this point in time, and he's not real happy. Because, I mean, if, the, if they rebuild the walls, then that means Jerusalem's gaining strength. The Israelites have got strength. Right, that's what it represents. That, that we're not to be pushed around anymore. We've actually we're, we're rebuilding our walls. We're re, re, rebuilding our strength. We're, we're getting back to the place we used to be. And a lot of people thought the Israelites were crazy, man. Like they would go in and like they would destroy everything if God told them to. So, I mean, like some people were really, really afraid of the Israelites because they had God on their side. You know, so it freaked everybody out when they start rebuilding and getting strong again. They're like, uh-oh, what does this mean for us? We're right next door, and they're building up this strong military, strong army. That's not going to go well for us. So Sam Ballant, he's, he's the governor of Samaria at this time. He says, he's very angry when he learned that we, rebuilt, we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and Samarian officers, army officers, this is so funny. He's, he's going to poke fun at him a little bit here. I love the way that he does it. I mean, you can almost hear him saying, nah, 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 boo-boo. He says, what does a bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think they can actually make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? He says, like, the, the walls are, are burnt, like the, the, the rocks are burnt. And you think you can just rebuild it? Do these bunch of feeble Jews think they just rebuild the wall? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. They're jeering at Nehemiah and the people working on the wall. What are they trying to do here? Well, it's the same thing that happens to you. People ever make fun of you? They ever make fun of your Christian walk? the way you serve Jesus? They ever make fun of you for reading your Bible at work if you read it at work? They ever make fun of you because you actually know Scripture? They ever make fun of you because you talk about the things that you, you heard at church? You talk about the things that God is doing at church? You talk about the things that God is doing in your life and in your family? Do people ever talk bad about you for that? Do they ever poke fun at you? I guarantee you they do. I know they do for me. Uh, in my particular work, uh, one of the things they like to make fun of me about is the fact that I don't drink. Um, I, and, and I, I'm just telling you that's my choice I, I choose not to drink that's just what I choose to do you, you make your own choices you do what's wise in your eyes and, and you do that Okay, you, you be good with the consequences too but you, do, you choose to do what you choose to do well I choose not to drink and, and, and I get made fun of that all the time uh, everybody at the table is ordering wine to drink for dinner and I'm with a bunch of you know, higher ups or whatever and they say, a glass for you, sir? I go, 
no thanks. I'll just take water. It'll be fine. As a matter of fact, you could spice up this water a little bit. If you'd bring me a lemon or two, I'd appreciate that. Because <laughs> the water's kind of bland, even though it came out of a nice bottle, you know, and it was $8 just for the bottle of water. But if you would bring me a couple of lemons, I would really appreciate it. But I really do. I get, I probably if I get made fun of the most, it's probably about not drinking. But they do like to take me because... I don't run up their, their drink bill so they can spread it out over all of us. They're like, man, you're a cheap date. Will you come along with us? You know, sometimes it works to my advantage and I get a good meal out of it. But for the most part, it's usually people making fun of me about the fact that I don't drink. People, I guarantee you, you you've experienced this, especially if you're in school. Uh, if you're in high school, college, and you talk about Jesus or you talk about the Bible or things that God's doing, I guarantee you people are going to poke fun, make fun try to make you feel bad about it in some way, shape, or form. And here, that's what's going on. Satan's doing the same thing then as he does now, and that is just use people's ego to try to destroy what God's doing. Here, God's shown these people how great it is to be working on the wall, and here you got these men over there. They're like, what do they think they're doing? These bunch of feeble Jews, they got burned, charred stones. They're trying to pile them up on top of each other and make a wall. That's never going to work. Even if a fox runs across the top of it, it's just going to crumble to pieces. A little bitty tiny fox is going to run across it. And that's how, how feeble and weak this wall will be. I guarantee you it's the same junk that Satan tries to do in your life too. Poke fun, make fun. At least make you question or doubt whether or not you should be doing these things or saying these things out loud. Because somebody's going to make fun of me again. I, I, I'm so proud of Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah says about these guys making fun of him? I don't give a rip. That's what it says in the next few verses. Now, he, 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 he prays to God about it. That's what he says. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we, we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Here he's just praying to God. You know, I, I, I love the fact of what Nehemiah does. You know what Nehemiah does every time he comes up against op opposition? You realize what his, his, his MO is? His MO is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this to God. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to get alone and I'm going to pray about it. And God, I just pray that you do something about it. Now, Nehemiah doesn't change his attitude. He doesn't change what he's doing. But he does at least go to God and say, God, deal with my feelings about this. He's open and honest with God about how it makes him feel. And, and I love that about him, but it doesn't change his motivation. It doesn't change what he's doing. He still continues on the path that God's laid out for him. And ain't nobody going to stop him from doing that. That's real spiritual warfare, by the way. That's exactly what goes on in our minds. Because, right, Satan's going to attack our minds first. That's exactly the way it happens. In verse 6 it says this, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. So I, I like this. People are making fun of them, and then you notice immediately, what does Nehemiah do? do? He goes and he prays about it, and he says, God, I want you to see them for how they really are. And then it says the people completed the wall to half its original height all around the city, and it says because they worked with enthusiasm. It didn't crush their spirit. It encouraged their spirit. It went the other way, and instead of having a negative impact, it had a positive impact, and that's spiritual warfare. 
See, Satan's always trying to disrupt what God is doing. We saw this in the book of Acts over and over and over again. You know what would happen in the book of Acts? See, what, what Satan intends for bad, we can use for good. It all depends on our perspective and whether or not we let God use it for good. We have that choice, okay? In the book of Acts, what you will see all the time is the church would grow, it'd get really big, and, and you know, people were coming to faith in Christ, and then church would come under persecution. Like Satan would work his way in there, and something bad would happen, and people would like, oh no, what are we going to do? And what would happen? It would scatter. So the church would, would divide, and it would scatter. And you're like, well, that sounds bad. They just ran everywhere? Yeah, they did. You know what they would do? They would start another church over here and another church over here and another church over here and another church over here. You know what happened? Those churches would fall into persecution. Satan would work his way in there and try to destroy what God was doing. You know what would happen? Those people, they would, get, uh, they, they would suffer and they would be persecuted. You know what would happen? That church would break up and they'd scatter. And they would start another church over here and another church over here and another church over here. What was happening? God was using every single one of Satan's attempts to destroy things to grow his kingdom. You have a choice about how you respond to persecution, to difficulties. You can either let it burn you or you can let it set you on fire. You understand the difference? When you get burnt, you feel like you don't want to continue anymore. You, don't, you feel like you don't want to keep going Man, that situation, it burned me really bad. I don't really ever want to dig into that again anymore. Or you can let it set you on fire, which means it gives you that enthusiasm to push forward and to do more and to do more and to do more and to do more and to not ever quit. There's a difference between being burnt and set on fire. Looks like these people were being set on fire. So they, they, they completed half the wall. And then there's... But, but Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired and they were furious. What is it doing? It's making them more angry. They hear that it's growing, it's building, it's building, it's building, and it's making them more and more furious. And they all had plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God at and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So they get mad. These governors and the people around Jerusalem, they get mad. And what, what, what does Nehemiah do? What's the, what's the first thing he does again? So we pray to our God. So we went back. He gets back on his knees before God and said, They're angry. They're coming against us. They're trying to cause confusion. <laughs> What does Satan try to do? He tries to cause confusion. If he can get you thinking about something else instead of thinking about the work, then he's accomplished his mission, right? If he can get your mind somewhere else and not on what God is doing, then he's accomplished something, right? If he can distract you by waving his hands a whole bunch and saying, look over here, look over here. Don't look at what God is saying. Look over here. Then he's accomplished his task. See, for different things, it takes different people. Different, for different people, it takes different things to throw them off and to shake them up and to get them off God's plan for their life. For some people, it's ridicule. It's being persecuted and, and being looked down upon. For some people, it's distraction. Just, just like some people like look over here sometimes. I don't know what's over there. But sometimes I see people like looking up. I, maybe there's something flying over there. I don't know. But like all the time, people are distracted. 
You know what I'm talking about? Like the ADHD thing? Like, like yeah, God, I'm listening. I'm like, oh, look, a squirrel. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, that's exactly what happens for some people. Satan is constantly trying to cause confusion, distraction, and that is the way, for some people, it works. Just like when your stomach starts growling in church, you know what I'm saying? You're like, man, is he really going to preach two and a half hours? I hope not. Like, I don't even know if Cracker Barrel will be open at 1230. You know, I'm like, I don't know if we should do that, Kenny. It's not really good. It doesn't please the Lord. <laughs> Distraction, confusion. These guys, what do they do? They go and they pray to God. They say, God, you take care of us. It says, but we prayed to our God and, and guarded the city. And guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So they're, they're not, they put on their armor, right? They're not going to sit idly by and say, I know they're, they're coming. I know the enemy's coming. I'm not going to be prepared. I'm just going to wait until he comes and then, and then maybe we'll get prepared. Now they're, they're like, now we need to prepare now. We need to get re- ready right now. Us and our spiritual lives, you know what we need to do? We need to put on the armor right now. We don't need to wait until we're in the middle of the battle and then try to rush and put on our armor. We need to be putting it on right now. You don't need to be waiting and you don't need to be in the middle of the battle before you finally decide, I'm going to get this thing straightened out and I'm going to start pursuing God through his word. You need to start doing it now. You need to start doing it now. It says, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. What happens? In every group, there's a bunch of complainers, right? And I don't care, I don't care if you, got, you think you got everybody on the same page. There's going to be some people that don't like what you're doing. They don't like the way it's being done. They say you're using three stones. You should be using two. You're not supposed to be using the broke rocks. You're only supposed to be using the whole rocks. There's going to be somebody, even if you serve ice cream every single day of the week, somebody's not going to like the flavor. And here you got some people complaining. Now, I am so thankful that nobody in here complains about Simple Church. <laughs> I am so thankful that I never get any notes or, or, or anything sent to me in an email or on Facebook. I am so thankful that that never happens here in Simple Church. You see this grin on my face? If you have legitimate complaints, I'm not saying don't come to me. If you have things you're concerned about, and it's with the spiritual integrity of this church and the health of this church, absolutely. You can tell me about them, but for the most part, it's just a distraction. I want you to think carefully before you hit send or before you write down on a piece of paper, is this spiritual warfare and is Satan using me in order to bring negativity, in order to try to destroy what God is doing? That's all I'm asking you to do. Think about that before you hit send or before you write that note down. Think about it. Am I being used by Satan right now? You got a bunch of people in here that are complaining. Man, we're not going to be able to do this by ourselves. You know what Nehemiah is probably thinking? You're right. We can't do it by ourselves. You're absolutely right that we can't do it by ourselves. But we got God on our side. You will have trouble. You will have difficulties. But take comfort, for I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have difficulties. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulation. But take comfort, for I have overcome the world. So what does that mean for you and me? That we don't have to do it alone. That we don't have to sit there and go, my hands are really tired. God says, I have got you in my hands, so you're not tired. And the people 
They've got some complainers amongst them. And meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down and on them and kill them and end their work. They're saying, not only are we tired and weak, but we've also got enemies all around us, and they're going to kill us once we get done with this thing. They're not going to let us finish this great work. Man, they should have, this is a good book. They should have read this book. You know what I mean? Because what happens is, I don't know if you ever read the end of the book, but in the end, we win, right? Like in the end, it all works out for our good and God's glory. And if you read the end of the book, what happens is we win. They should have read this book, man. They should have read it and said, you know what? Even though the enemies look like they're going to destroy us, even though it may look like persecution right now, even though it may look like that we're on the verge of being completely wiped out, we win. We win. It says the Jews who live near the enemy uh, came and told us again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and our homes. You know what they did? They stationed guards. What did the guards have? They had swords. You know what you need to do when you're in a spiritual battle? You need to stand by your brothers and sisters with your sword. He said, look, you keep doing the work. I've got your back. I'm here for you, and we're going to fight this thing together. You keep building. You keep working. I'm going to defend you while you work. God used these people. He used these people to teach us something right now. To teach us that, man, as a body of believers, man, we have the ability to defend each other. To say, you know what, we're going to continue this good work. Why? For our brothers, for our sisters, for our sons, for our daughters, for our homes. We're going to continue to fight the fight. We're going to continue to build. We're going to continue on this path that God has laid out for us. And we're going to take up our swords and we're going to fight. And we're not going to be dismayed. We're not going to be distracted. We're just going to keep on fighting. And no matter how many times they tear down the walls, if they tear them down, we're just going to build them again. Look what happens. Verse 15 says, When our enemies heard that we knew their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half of my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, and the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and the other hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and to the officials and to all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. 
Man, is that not powerful stuff right there. You know, you know what a, a trumpeting sounding always represents in the Bible? Uh, you know, you always, you always talk about hearing, hearing the trumpet and, and it, at the rapture when God returns. And we always hear a trumpet. Like, what is the deal with the trumpet? Like, why is there always a trumpet? What does it represent? What does it mean? It is always representative of an assembling of God's people, of bringing them together. To, to bringing them together in unison as one. And that's exactly what we see here. What happens is, is that Nehemiah says, we got some that if, if one is working, the other's going to stand behind him with a sword. Then we got some that as they're building, they're, they got a stone in one hand and they got a sword in the other. But they, they never leave without a sword by their side, a sword attached to their hip so that they can fight whenever it's necessary for them to go and fight. Why? Because they've been putting on this spiritual armor. The sword of the spirit, which is the Bible, God's truth, God's word. They've always got it on their hip and it's ready to go to defend themselves and to be ready whenever the enemy is about to attack. I, I've been telling people all the time, man, God's word is a beautiful thing and it is an amazing thing. It has a power to change lives and I stand up here week after week after week telling people this. I keep telling them that if you're going to put on the full armor of God, that you've got to have the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, in your hands. You, if you're really going to go forward for the kingdom of God, you've got to be ready. And this is the most neglected thing in the Christian's life. Am I right? You don't have to nod your head. You ask yourself, am I right? We have the power of God, the words of God in our hands, and we ignore them. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Or, or even worse, people will go and, and hear somebody twist these words and make them say something they don't really say. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You have the power of God and his, his words that he breathed onto these pages. And we'd rather go and listen to something that makes us feel good than the truth of God. And I'm like, not me, not for me. And, and we'll watch pastors on TV twist and contort this word to say all kinds of garbage. And I'm like, man, I wish you would stop watching them on TV and just pick it up and read it yourself. Cut off the TV, man. If you got to read it on your computer, read it on your computer. If you don't like paper, that's fine. Read it like you read Facebook. Go and get online and read it, man. He says, then our God will fight for us. He says, I'll assemble us together with the blast of the trumpet. Everybody come running to where the trumpet is, and we'll fight together. You know what's beautiful about this, man? It's God's people coming together. And, and I just picture them. They all come running at one, to one place, to one spot. For what purpose? To see God fight for them. It wasn't so much that they could fight together so much as it was, let's all get together so we can see God fight for us. That's a beautiful picture of God assembling his people and saying, come, just come and watch me fight for you. Just come and see what I'm going to do. As you continue to labor in the work, as you continue to press on for the cause, come and see. 
Come and see what I'm going to do. Come and see the power of God that is on your side. Come and just watch God work. It says in verse 21, it says, We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. These guys were laboring. These men and these women were laboring. Why? Because God had put something on their heart. And it was, it was crushing their spirit, the fact that these walls are still torn down. And these men says, I'm not going to sleep. We're going to take shifts and we're going to continue to do the work. We're going to continue to press on. And when the enemy tries to attack, it's, it's at the night. We're going we're to stand in protection of ourselves and of our homes and of our brothers and our sisters. And then when the sun comes up, we're going to rebuild the wall. We're continue to push forward for this thing that God has so heavily placed on our hearts. And half of the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. Everybody's like, man, that was powerful, Kenny. I love that. I'm surprised you aren't like standing up yelling. This is what he says. You know what he said? You know what Nehemiah says right there at the end of chapter 4? He says, not me or my family or any of my friends or any of the people that were working on the wall ever took off their armor. They were always ready. They were always prepared. They always had their weapon right there beside them so that if they ever needed to go and fight, they would go and fight. And they weren't afraid to sleep in their clothes and to be ready at any point in time that the enemy came that they could go in an instant and be there and be ready to defend. Man, I wish we would keep on our armor. I wish we would keep on our clothes. I wish we would always be vigilant and always be ready to defend ourselves against the enemy. I wish we'd always say, you know what, I'm going to continue to put on my armor. I'm going to continue to get ready for the warfare that is coming because God has given me a great task in my life and I will not sit idly by and let the walls stay in ruins. I'm going to rebuild the walls. I'm going to continue on the work that God has laid out for us. We got so many people that just rather sit by and watch somebody else build the wall while they sit back and just watch them do the work. And I'm like, not me, not me. I'm in on rebuilding the walls. I'm in on doing this work for God and his kingdom. If that means I have to have my sword in one hand and put a brick in the other, that's what I'm going to do. The enemy is constantly trying to distract. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to, to, to keep you from, from doing God's work. He's trying to make you feel bad for doing God's work. He's trying to, to destroy what you're doing. Man, would you get ready? Would you just say... I'm not going to let him have the upper hand because my God tells me that he is for me and that because he is for me that there is nobody that can be against me. What does that mean? That means that, that, that even though they look like they look like they have power over you, you are not subject to their power. That you have more power in you than they have in them. You know why? Because you have the power of the Spirit of God living within you if you're a Christian and a follower of Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? It excites me to look at the book of Nehemiah and see God using his people, unified together, working together for one cause, 
And that was to strengthen the people of God. To not just rebuild the walls. Think about what was going on there. It wasn't just about the walls. Look at what was happening to the people. It wasn't the walls that were just being strengthened. It was the people that were being strengthened through this. Even through the attack of the enemy, the people were getting stronger and stronger every day. What about you and your life? As the enemy attacks, do you have on your armor? Are you ready, day or night, to defend and to go to battle because you've been putting on your spiritual armor day after day after day? Have you embraced God's word? Have you seen the power of God's word to change lives and transform your life so much so that you look at it and study it and read it for yourself? Are, are, are you ready to go and continue in God's work? Are you just are you complacent to go and just sit back and relax and take it easy and say, I'll let somebody else do the work? Which one of these things has spoken to you today? Which one of these has God put on your heart and crushed your heart with today? Which one of these has been God speaking directly to you through his word? Whatever the case may be. Maybe you're not a Christian. You don't, you don't know what it means to have the Holy Spirit living within you. you. You don't know what it means to have the power of God within you. Maybe you recognize that for the first time today. I pray that you would come. Let me tell you how you can be a Christian, how you can surrender your heart and life to Christ and say, God, not, not my will be done anymore. Your will in my life be done forever. I'm done with me. I'm done with my ways. I'm giving it all to you for your glory. If you would come, I would love to share that with you and tell you how you can know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian that's been sitting idly by while other people are doing the work, and God has crushed your heart over that, come and pray. If you, if you need to pray up here, pray up here. If you need to pray at your chair, pray at your chair. If you need to go outside and pray. If you need to go outside and weep because you see the walls torn down and you see the brokenness in the community around us in this place right here. You don't have to look very far to see brokenness. And maybe God has challenged you in that and say, would you please do something? Would you please take up a stone and a sword and go and start building the wall? Maybe God's crushed your heart over that today. Whatever the case may be, I pray that you just continue to seek God. Do what Nehemiah did. Pray to the Lord your God and say, God, this is what is on my heart. And do what Nehemiah did. Don't be distracted and just keep building the wall. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for Nehemiah and his testimony. Lord, and for the power of God that was on Nehemiah's side. I know that when Nehemiah first started to pray and ask you to, God, guide him and what he should do, I know that there was a weakness there. I know that there was a brokenness there. And I'm sure there was some doubt there. God, but I also know that Nehemiah had set his mind to continue the work because you had put it on his heart, and God, he was completely convinced of that. God, you are putting something on people's hearts right now. I pray that they would complete, be completely convinced that this is of God, and Satan wouldn't be able to come in and steal that thought from them when they go to eat lunch in just a few minutes. God, I pray that they would surrender fully to whatever your calling is on their life, God, and it would not be stolen by the enemy. 
I know that that's the way the enemy works. He comes in and puts doubt in our mind. Well, what, I was te- what God was telling them just a few minutes ago, that wasn't really real. That wasn't God speaking to them. That was just some thing that they were thinking in their own mind. God, I pray. God, I pray that people wouldn't think that way. I pray that they would know that what you've put on their hearts right now, God, it is from God and it is for God and it is through his Holy Spirit that you will see it to completion. God, may the power of God rest firmly on the hearts and on the minds of the people in this place. God, help them to recognize exactly what you're calling them to and may they not be deterred from it. God, we need your power and your strength to help us continue on the path of obedience. So God, you do a great work in your people right now. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, may they surrender to your power of your Holy Spirit right now. Father, thank you, God, for being close to us. God, thank you for speaking to us. God, may we be obedient to you now. In Jesus' holy name I do pray. Amen. Would you all please stand?